Robotics log, Marjorie. Can't help loving that android of mine. Welcome to Reengage, the weekly podcast where we watch and discuss episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. Our cultural bridge officers dissect each episode as well as the pop culture and world events that took place when it first aired. We're a bunch of Gen X adults returning to the series we loved as a kid to see how it holds up. So kiss a strange metal man and let's re-engage. Welcome everyone to re-engage the ensigns of command. I am Kate Yeager, your host. And with me as always are my cultural bridge officers starting with Greg Tito. How are you, Greg? Doing great, Kate. I am so thirsty for data in this episode. I am ready. So much thirst. (laughs) It's like the Sahara Desert up in that bitch. Oh, we will talk about how, how thirsty for data Marjorie is. My gracious. Jimmy G, how are you? I am doing very well, and I am very excited to talk about this episode rated PG for fear and sex, and I really hope it delivers. Oh, wow. A good rating on this one. That's exciting. And Mr. Eric Gratton, how are you? Good, sir. What the fuck are the Ensigns of Command? What (laughs) is this fucking title? And what does it have to do with any goddamn thing ever? It's a good question. That is a great question. Thank you. It's good to see y'all. I'm doing well. (laughs) Well, let's start uh, with the air date, October 2nd, uh, 1989, that week of October. Greg, what was happening in the world around us? Well, on September 30th, uh, the West German foreign minister, Hans Dietrich Genscher, yeah, he, he granted East Germans the ability to go into West Germany. Shit. Free passage to the West in a speech. And the next day, thousands of East Germans fled away from the more communist bloc regime of East Germany into the more somewhat Western uh, run West Germany. And uh, Jimmy, I think you were actually in Germany when this was happening, right? Yes, I graduated high school, Stuttgart American High School in Germany, uh, 1990, and it was not uncommon to see people with backpacks come into bars who had just gotten into the country uh, and wanted to celebrate with a beer, uh, because also I got to go to bars in high school. It's amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. When did the wall come down? That was that was not a little while. That was a while later. It was yeah? like 90 it's coming. Yeah, it's yeah. very close. I mean, it, I was still in high school because we have a, my parents have a piece of the wall in oh, their, wow. their hutch, which is a German cabinet. Only know. Germans use that word. Yeah. They have a wall hutch against the wall? <laughs> they do. They do. <laughs> uh, in baseball, it was the last se- uh, day of the season uh, in 1989 on October 1st, the day before this aired. And the batting titles for both leagues were determined on this last day, uh, which I found interesting. Kirby Puckett went two for five and beat Carney Lansford by having a 339 average over 336. And I just love the fact that statistically, that's really hard to have something come down to the last day and how you're going to do. And I just, you know, uh, love that. Um, Tony Gwynn went three for four and beat out Will Clark. In, in the uh, National League, Jimmy. Uh, and of uh, great interest to me, 17 and 24 years after both of these dates that we've mentioned, October 1st and 2nd, my daughters would be born. Aww. Aww. That is very cool. That's we'll get to that cool. eventually in the run of this shit. Wait, no, we won't. Never mind. 
October 1st also uh, is when U.S. Army General Colin Powell became the youngest chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Wow. Uh, the highest military position in the United States. He was the youngest to do it at 52. Oh, I thought you were going to say a lot younger. Yeah, no, he was he was actually 52, which is, you know, usually they're all, you know, old and decrepit That's when they true. get to be the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Also, October 3rd, the Oakland Raiders promoted Art Shell, he was 42, as the first African-American coach of the NFL for the Raiders. Uh, I remember that being talked about and being a real big deal. He, <laughs> he was just awesome. Uh, of course, he did coach for Kansas City a little bit as well. Nice. Yeah, so that's that's everything that was going on uh, in this week in 1989. Thank you so much, Greg. Let's go over to Kate uh, with the pop culture news. Thank you so much, Kate. You're welcome, Kate. Back in music for the second week in a row, Girl, I'm Gonna Miss You by Millie Vanilli uh, was mm-hmm. the top of the charts. I'm sort of fascinated and obsessed with how we're leaving the 80s here, the, the like neon colored 80s and going into the beginning of the 90s, which to me were, was a little bit more uh, cynical and and hard fought. Uh, so I love the fact that the same time Girl, I'm Gonna Miss You by Milli Vanilli was number one, Fugazi 13 Songs was dropped the day before, uh, wow. which is a seminal uh, album in the alternative music. Uh, does anyone remember that album? It was huge. Uh, that that was huge for my friends and I. I don't remember that specific album, but I do remember Fugazi being like in hushed tones amongst the drama kids. Fugazi's coming out. It's so great. Um, <laughs> never got into them uh, specifically, but I do. I, I think you're totally right where it's like the 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 pop and the hair metal of the 80s is waning. And then this new rise of alternative music is beginning. And then it, it uh, I've been reading a lot about how it ends at the end of the 90s because of, uh, you know, corporations. Uh, and this was actually a really big rise of hip hop and rap too. That's true. Mm, this yeah. was sort of the beginning of the super rap groups coming out. NWA was yes. hitting the scene and shaking things up. So uh, let's not forget about that. No, let's not yours. forget about my new vinyl that I just picked up of All Hail the Queen, which came out at this particular time as well. Oh my goodness! Nice. Uh, yeah, very yeah. time for music. Very upended. Chaotic. Yeah, I love it. Uh, on the movie front, Black Rain continued to uh, rain, as it were. That week, Drugstore Cowboy with Matt Dillon and Kelly Lynch, directed by Gus Van Sant. Speaking of big bummers. Yeah. <laughs> Heather Graham. Yeah, it? Heather. I've made it her first, wow. one of her first um, movies for sure. And uh, that week, Dakota Johnson was born uh, in an effort to make us all feel old. It worked. And that's what was happening in pop culture. Thanks, Kate. That was the best you've ever done. Thanks, Kate. Appreciate it. This episode was written by our good friend, Melinda M. Snodgrass. We love her. And uh, directed by Cliff Bowl. Jimmy, what was happening in the production side of this? A couple of interesting things. Data's shuttle that he goes down to the colony in was named after Ellison Onizuka, who was one of the astronauts that died in the Challenger hmm. uh, explosion in 1986. And during the filming of this episode, the Dalai Lama and some of his monks were on set. Uh, all of them big <laughs> Trekkies. What? Yeah, and wow. uh, they have a picture of them surrounding Data in one of the colony sets uh, getting a picture. Wow. He's, you know, it's Brent in full data regalia. And then a little thing about one of the actors that I'm sure our friend Eric will bring up when we hit that with Armis. 
so the, the the actor who does the Sheliak was Armis in uh, the episode where we lost Tasha Yar. Same actor oh. comes back to play that. Yeah, I didn't God. do the voice guy. So you tell me. That, oh, that is so interesting because I m noted that it was a similar vibe and presence to that to that uh, creature. Yep. Well, there That's you go. Fun. Well, they already had his costume. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it looks cooler this time, though. It Put him on a ship and it's They just folded it. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow made it undulate. Yeah. I somehow thought it looked like a like a black like a Prada bag or a you know, like <laughs> yeah. like it had it had that insignia like it was you know branded a little bit. Eric, speaking of guest stars, yes, there were several. This was an enormously brilliant uh, episode for guest stars. I mean, we have to start with uh, Richard Allen, uh, who we saw before as a Tasmanian uh, no Tasmanian. Uh, officer in the first season. So we'll just say again, he had a fantastic career, lots of B-movies and TV. His final credit was Jimmy Neutron, which is pretty fucking cool. And mm. this doubt, which is always mentioned every time we come across it, was one episode of Cop Rock. Yes. Which all of us know, and I would imagine yeah. starting with the generation just after us has no idea existed. <laughs> then we go to um, really Eileen Seeley, a fantastic actor. She got to kiss Data, which is wonderful. Her very last gig on IMDb was Jack Frost 2, making this the thousandth entry in actors who threw in the towel while having an empirically better career than Eric. Um, and that's not fair because people quit for millions of reasons. I'm just saying I'd kill to be in Jack Frost 2 Revenge of the Snowman. Uh, she was also a lead in the first one. Hell yeah. She was in Down and Out in Beverly Hills, the TV show. Lots of TV movies, lots of guest stars. She was Batman's mom in Batman Forever. Uh, a small sampling of her other stuff is Quantum Leap, Night Court, Who's the Boss, Murder, She Wrote. Nice career, can find nothing on her after, say, 2001. Good work. All right, next, we had Granger Hines, kind of the antagonist in the episode. Terrific career. Um, most recently, uh, the most recent time I've seen him is uh, as Earl Burke, one of the principal um, uh, enemies of the main character in Dr. Death. Did you guys watch that on Peacock? So fucking good. Um, the Good Lord Bird, Madam Secretary, uh, movies like The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. He's got well over 100 credits on IMDb. We would spend a lot of time on him. Uh, I'm going to say a, a couple other things. Good Wife, Elementary, The Nick, uh, Criminal Minds, CSI, Hell on Wheels, Justified, a lot of kind of Western type things, which is not really unsimilar to what we're dealing with here. On that note, I just want to yeah. say, I didn't know this. I just happened to find it because I looked things up. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. Wow. But wow. We have right. a rule. He's not credited in this because I was like, who no, is this I know. guy? Yeah. It, yeah. It's not his voice. Right. Did they did they mention who the voice is? No. No, I wasn't able to find. Wait, it's not his voice? No. The main, over. the main bad guy? Yeah. Because he sounded too much like John Wayne, they said, because he had that Western kind of <laughs> oh. background. And so oh, they, they wow. dug him over. And then he asked for his name to get taken off. Good. Yeah, he had done, like at this point, he had just done the Alamo, Matlock, Airwolf, uh, stuff like this. His, his career actually mirrors that of the other guy we're going to spend most of our time on. And they both did uh, Inner Space together, which is super interesting. The Island, Barnaby Jones, like... 
tons and tons of stuff. We would spend a lot more time on him if we didn't have to spend the remainder of our time talking about Mark L. Taylor, one of my absolute heroes. Um, he is the, uh, he's in, uh, the first thing that I think of every time I see him is inner space because he's the catalyst for the whole thing when he shoots uh, Martin Short in the butt. Oh, right. And then he is also in arachnophobia where he's the catalyst for the whole thing where he gets bitten and dies and the uh, spider comes back with him to the little town. Um, in addition to those things that would make a career all by himself, he is everywhere. His voice is in The Rocketeer, Transformers, Witch, Sylvester and Tweety Mysteries, Pinky and the Brain, Extreme Ghostbusters, The Mask, Incredible Hulk, Felix the Cat, Batman the Animated Series, Smurfs, Darkwing Duck, Scooby-Doo, Tailspin, Superman, DuckTales, wow. etc. That's not even all of them. On TV, things like Days of Our Lives, the Serpico TV series, MASH, Mork and Mendy, Chips, V the Final Battle, Punky Brewster, Cagney and Lacey, Night Court, Twilight Zone, Crazy Like a Fox, Simon and Simon, Stingray, Gimme a Break, Mr. Belvedere, Charles in Charge, Family Matter, Mancuso, FBI, Sabrina, West Wing, Alien Nation, Hunter, Jake and the Fat Man, Sisters, Designing Women, Moonlighting, Empty Nest, Seinfeld Blossom, 90210, Home Improvement, Picket Fences, Jag, Voyager, Melrose Place, Alley McBeal, Boston Public, The Practice, Six Feet Under, Desperate Housewives, etc. Again, about half of them. Movies, Mother Jugs and Speed, Marathon Man, Any Which Way You Can, Angel Heart, Born in East L.A., Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Mastergate, one of my all-time favorite movies, Homeward Bound, Jury Duty, Meet Wally Sparks, High School Musicals 2, Jesus Christ, what a career, and he's still going. I love me some Mark L. Taylor. Let's move on, shall we? Fantastic. Uh, I got uh, very excited when I saw him. Yeah, he's just terrific. Also on Voyager, too. And Voyager. I, I didn't mention that, but I wrote it down. The Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. He's the one who talks about plumbing. I remember, like, plumbing? Yeah. That would not, oh, be, yeah. That would not stop our fishing yeah. trip, Matt Frewer. <laughs> <laughs> so good. So uh, well, let's get into the episode. We start on 10 Forward, and now that Pulaski is gone, uh, 10 Forward is a much different place. It's full of culture. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, we've got a wonderful recital starting. Here comes Data and gets concerned when he walks in and sees Picard and uh, Beverly Crusher there and warns them that perhaps they would like to come a, di a different evening because he's not going to play very well. So they give him a little lesson on not giving away all of your cards. <laughs> maybe, maybe uh, they should have said something like, hey, could you be nicer to my friend Data right now? I just wish that you'd be nicer to my friend Data. Mm. You could tell too, he's quoting someone by like, he's the soul and he like shakes his fist a little bit. And it's right. like, did someone, did, who hurt you Data? Tell me. O'Brien did it. <laughs> <laughs> the cello playing O'Brien. This is where that becomes canon. That was definitely the girl he sat next to because she even gave him the stink eye when he didn't play right away. <laughs> Love That's it. True. For him not having emotion, though, he portrays a lot of emotion here on his first shot in this episode. I thought it was a really interesting choice for him to show like embarrassment and then trepidation and then yeah. like, how am I going to go? And like, it, it's subtle, but it's still very much detectable for us humans out there. And uh, this is a lesson that pretty much every actor should learn when they go into an audition. How many times have you seen like, I was up all night last night, or, you know, like I, you know, I'm a little bit sick, so this is not going to be as good. That's never going to work. That's Nobody never going to get you the part. I will say whether I'm sick or not before I sing, and I don't give a shit if they believe me or not. <laughs> and I'm sick, and they want me to sing anyway. I'm going to tell them I'm sick, but then I'm going to sing. 
Uh, it well, reminds me of lowering expectations, Scotty thing, where you're like, this is going to be terrible. And then you yeah. like, blow it out of the water. <laughs> well, no, I'm like, I hope they hear that and then go online and see me really sing, you know. As, uh, as an artist, though, how much did your heart hurt mm. when the moment the concert started, there was a call over the intercom to Captain Picard and they just had to keep playing over it? I was like, <laughs> son of a bitch. Turn off your cell phones, assholes. <laughs> It was a nice bit of writing to have O'Brien play the cello in this and not mention anything because it gives you a little bit of backstory about this guy yeah. without without uh, you know beating the horse with it. So that yeah. was kudos. To Snodgrass, of course. You know he got that page in the script and just did a little jig. Like that that type of moment for for that type of character is is just a wonderful joy. I uh, also think it meant they had to hire one less person, which is really yeah. helpful too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think that's what it was more than anything else. <laughs> well, we go onto the bridge and we find out that we are getting a call from the Shelyaks, and that's apparently a big fucking deal. We get a message from them and they say there are humans on the planet that we are about to take over and you have four days. This planet should be uninhabitable, but hey, Let's go check it out. I need to discuss the fact that the word Sheliak got said and Riker went, Sheliak, 111 years! Like, Riker <laughs> is a Sheliak nerd. That guy has books. He's, yeah, it was amazing. I didn't even catch that. That's right. He did his, he did his <laughs> <Yeah>. thesis. <laughs> like, it wasn't 100 years. It was 111 right. years. Harp porn and Sheliak <laughs> <Yep>. history. Yep. <laughs> That's Riker in a nutshell. We go into the opening credits, the newly beautiful uh, view that we talked about last week. And then we end up on the planet and or near the planet. And spoiler alert, there are people there. It should mm. be uninhabited because it is full of radiation. And they know that they are in trouble because lots of systems stop working on the ship. The ship is not rated for radiation, I think, is what it comes down to. Yeah. And we've been having a lot of problems. <laughs> this ship needs an overhaul. <laughs> and they had a very specific type of radiation. What was the word? Mm, radiation. I feel yeah. like bubonic. Hyperonic. <laughs> Hyperonic. Hyperonic radiation. Yeah. I, I just would love to be in the writer's room where they're spitballing that. Yeah. But how many iterations they came with? They're like, yes. Hyperonic. <laughs> Hyperonic radiation. You know, it was also like a, it was a in between two, it's like someone wanted it to be hyperbolic radiation and someone else wanted it <laughs> to be subsonic radiation. And they were like, fine. You win, Snodgrass. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, we are, all, we go down to the planet with Data because of course he is not uh, affected by the radiation. And two dudes find the shuttlecraft. Um, there's a really interesting <laughs> moment because the first one says, you're the first visitor we've had. And then the other guy goes, the first visitor we've ever had. And I was like, something yeah, is up. And that right. never comes back. Nope. But I have a whole theory about the hatred of of androids like i think they've had androids on that or they, they've had visitors on that planet before it is not canon but it is canon because of the way those two <laughs> right. dudes react and well, how hated data is and they did um they had more to this script that was cut they had they had to cut two hundred thousand dollars out of the budget Shit. last minute 
uh, <clears throat> and they actually did have more of a, a storyline with um, the love interest between mm. Data and uh, Marjorie. Adrian. Marjorie. Uh, Marjorie? Mm-hmm. I don't think Marjorie's her name. I think it was Adrian, like A-D- yes. What? Apostrophe yeah. R-I- they, didn't, they did not do a good a. job of pronouncing it. Yeah. Oh, well, they pronounce it Marjorie. Um, yeah, but there is actually much more developed, and that was just cut out entirely. So maybe yeah. part of that was a, a, a reveal of why. Well, and, and like some, some dark shit went down definitely because of the way the, the leader kind of talks. You know, a third of us died. I'm like, okay. What? From radiation, though, right? Is what right, he but the yeah. other the other two thirds didn't. So like they found something, and the way he is and how cagey he is, yeah. I'm like, so we're gonna find out they ate him. Right, exactly. All right. You know, All like right. I want to know what happened in the last hundred years. Yeah. I want to watch that series, that one 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 season of just that series. Yeah, because the great grandparents did something that that now this new Decisions. generation doesn't want to talk about. A calling. It was a calling. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which was interesting because they'd say, you know, early, also in the scene that they don't know too much about the history. Like they were too worried about surviving right. and to worry about where history comes from. But they still have a, the word shuttlecraft, like at the tip of their tongues as soon as they see this thing. So, yeah, some some of the, the storyline here doesn't match up because yeah. I, I, I would do. That's not the first word that would come to me if I'd seen this ship and be like, well, that's a shuttlecraft. Like, it feels like a very Federation type of thing. And they also identified immediately as being, like, from the Federation. So they must have some history. They just right. don't know have a lot of history about themselves, which seems also really mm. odd. I think they're lying. I think they're lying. Yeah. yeah. This guy's grandfather was a dickhead, I think. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes out. Back on board the Enterprise, we find out that there are 15,000 people and that they cannot use the transporters. And if they're going to use the shuttles on the ship, it's going to take four weeks. So we're going to call the Sheliacs and see uh, about getting that extension. Eric? They just immediately had no problem with the concept of putting 15,000 more people on that yes. ship. So here's okay. what kind of fucking hide-and-seek games or sardines do these fucking kids on this ship get up to? Because 15,000... <laughs> Is a lot of empty room on that fucking ship. I'm well, the very... ship cleans itself, so they're yes. not concerned about that. <laughs> nope. Snodgrass <laughs> likes putting entire peoples into cargo bays. So that is true. true. That 15, is true. Thousand. There's so many nooks and crannies on this ship. Uh, put them in the holodeck. Snodgrass... Put them in the Jeffrey tubes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well done, Cannon. For those of you who don't know, Snodgrass also wrote um, Up the Long Ladder, which is where we got that sort of Irish clan uh, all in the holodeck and learned about the self-cleaning ship. Mm. Um, so, yeah, she is very much about let's let's bring people on board the Enterprise <laughs> on Moss. I like the logistics uh, discussion here because it does it, it does make it feel very real to be like, look, we, we just don't have the ability to transport this many people up from the ship without our transporters, without all the the things that we give. Uh, I, I just felt like it was a very, almost like a, a war movie or something like that. Like, we've got a problem. we got to get to the other side of this this river, you know, and there's a fox there and a chicken. And, it, you know, how are we going to yeah. get back and forth in time? <laughs> I just loved uh, them having, like, a real problem. How do we do yeah, this? Yeah, I agree. I, I wrote down logistical pressure. Yeah. Grouchy race. Love it. Like, I love, uh, <laughs> they're thinking uh, about the, the, the day-to-day 
in space uh and how do we solve this problem other than just some big sci-fi word and wesley going uh that's easy (laughs) (laughs) uh speaking of a grumpy leader back on the planet we meet the leader and he is a piece of he's an asshole (laughs) y'all he's not having it and now that i know that he's dubbed it's even more uh intriguing to me (laughs) he is just not impressed by the land claim of the sheliac he wants he says change change the treaty so easy. And uh, as I wrote, this asshole is not having it. Then he goes back to test the acidity levels of the hot tub in the middle of the square. <laughs> they spend a lot of time checking the acidity levels. It's important. I've got more important work to do. I'm a leader, so I have to look at this this uh, display. Yes. Uh, and then I wrote, then some lady just throws shit at him. Right? That, that... <laughs> Which is a really, that's how you test someone it's, as an android. I can't tell culture. you how many yeah. people she has thrown things at and been wrong. Yeah. Girl throws rod at boy, boy catches rod, boy and girl fall in love. It's, it's the, a classic space love opera, Kate. Yeah. <laughs> and she's a total nerd for science that I'm going to continue to call Marjorie. I love Marjorie. <laughs> Back in the conference room, Jordy uh, are asked if they have been able to use the transporters uh, and that they can not say no. Basically, uh-huh. in the conference room, it's like, you need to do this. The answer is yes. Fine. Right. That was fun. And, and, and I love those, too. It's like that scene in Apollo 13 where they come in with the yeah. big bag of miscellaneous uh, yes. items. And you got to go, you got to make this fit into this using this. <laughs> so, a wonderful kind of exciting thing for all of us nerds going, how are they going to do it? <laughs> and then we get to finally see the Sheliac. We've talked a little bit about this, the Prada bag or, uh, <laughs> you know, something that's just uh, looks luxe and designer. What'd you all think of that design? He looked like derelict. <laughs> <laughs> well, not so much. <laughs> not so much for me, the design, but the, uh, the production design of the, the environment they were in mm. yeah. of Battlestar Galactica, the original series, and the the main antagonist who would sit on that huge throne and the other Cylons behind the human. You know, do you know what I'm talking about? Those mm-hmm. scenes. This reminds me very much of that. Like I, I was taken back even further. Yeah, I love these guys. Um, I love the way they looked. I love the ship, like Eric was saying. Uh, I love the the the. I don't know if it's mythos or the, the world they built around them, how they just really clinged on to this, the word corporate, and then everything sort of, their whole race seemed to fall in line with that one word. Mm. And uh, I, I don't recall ever seeing them again. I would love to, because this this is a fun sort of Rom- Romulan-esque protagonist where they're not necessarily a, they're out to get us, but they, you know, there's roadblocks with them anytime you meet them. And it was, uh, it was just a fun, uh, intro of a different species. Yeah. They feel to me like a, a non-humanoid board, right. That, mm. that somehow were able to forge and a treaty with probably not so much because they wanted peace, but because they didn't really care. It's like uh, the the mm-hmm. that I read about them was really fun. It's it's we've never been able to learn their language, uh, yeah. whether pathically or anything else. But they've learned several Federation languages that they consider irrational, but they, they have to work with us. So because our language is so irrational, the the treaty is thousands of pages long, 
because they wanted all ambiguity taken out. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's a neat thing as to why right. it seems to them like there's no ambiguity, but to us it feels like it's complete ambiguity because right. it's you know it's just a neat, uh, completely at odds way of thinking of the universe, and that's what I like in my alien cultures meeting. <laughs> I also just like too that they're just an immovable antagonist. Like it's just like yeah. you know we're not going to defeat them in battle. You know we're not going to try to take them over. We're not trying to even convince them to our side. We just need to get our people off in a in a in a way that you know has humans not being killed or no one being killed. Mm-hmm. And it it just ends up being like a nice you know uh, force to for for all of our characters to be pushing against without having to know about where are they from? What do they do? You know, all that stuff. It was just, you know, almost like a, like a, a, a like a religious, like a, like, oh, this exists. How are you going to deal with it? Type of thing. Jumping in the middle of the story. I always like. Uh, back on the planet, Marjorie tells Data, uh, hey, I'm so sorry. He's just, he's just doesn't like robots, which again, there's a story there. Don't know what it is. Uh, maybe that's how a third of their people were killed. Uh, I don't know, but there's a story and I want to know what it is. They also are implying that that uh, Marjorie and Goshevin might have been seeing each other at one time, and that oh, I they missed have... that. I missed that when, too. When did that come up? It's 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 in some of the notes here of of uh, uh, the original script where yeah. it was implied that mm. uh, her obsession or her interest in androids was what drove them apart. So maybe that's oh. the that's where the antagonism comes from. Is that you know he all, and he even says it in this scene uh, or the scene right before when you were mentioning like oh another one of your toys, right. We thought sex toys, but maybe it just means Android, like, you know. No, it's sex toys. <laughs> it's both. <laughs> uh, sure. It is what she threw at him, right? That was definitely De- what she threw at him. definitely a sex toy. <laughs> well, because it, it very clearly, uh, Marjorie, uh, as we call her, trusts those, that, <laughs> super trusts those robots. Uh, yep. But then I, there's this great moment where she says they don't have anything as sophisticated as Data, and he gives the side eye to the metal man next to him and says, uh, I would think, I would say not. Picard calls in, says, hey, the Shaliac won't budge. You got to go warn the leader. So you know what that means. Let's go back to the transporter room. I love this little like thing that they do with, that they keep being in the transporter room and then someone important shows up for 30 seconds right. to just put a fire under their ass and see how poorly they're doing. Yeah, because they do it twice, right? Yeah. Riker and then Picard. Yes, this this time they beam the canister, and when it comes back, it's melted, and Riker shows up and basically is like, "Good job, we're all counting on you." <laughs> in that first, I don't remember if it's the first time they go into the transporter room with Riker, or if it's the second one with Picard. But initially, you see Wes in the background, like he's like, it looks like, yeah, like he's in a back alley of the the transporter room and it just it seems extraneous <laughs> yeah, it's like they had an extra shot of him they threw in so he could get his you know like his his uh sag pay or something oh 100 percent. he's only in that one scene and it is 15 seconds total and he basically is like this isn't fair right well i money. was for sure when i saw him I was like he's gonna step i'll go oh that's easy we could transport it why didn't you think of this <laughs> back on the planet and at the hot tub uh goshevin which is what uh i'm going to call uh the leader uh is still being obstinate yeah opines about water and history and honor <laughs> and a, a whole bunch of bullshit my grandfather was buried on that mountain is that the first time he says it in this scene i think so he's real obsessed with that grandfather y'all hmm 
you know, I grew up in Kansas, Missouri, the, the border wars leading to the Civil War and all that shit. And everybody has an opinion on what their grandpa and great grandpa did during that shit. And that's like listening to this guy. Like yeah. neighbors mm-hmm. growing up had stories about their grandparents in the Civil War. And I'm just like, you fucking morons. Um, anyway, that's what I have to say about this particular uh, series of stories from him. I think he's very well written. I think it's it's just so familiar. Yeah. Well, I thought it was uh, <laughs> it was not a very big turnout for a we no. might be eradicated type of right? rally. Mm-hmm. Like 15,000 people and there's like 30 people who show up. But what are the other 14,770 <laughs> people doing right. <laughs> during this rally? <laughs> uh, back on the ship, we hear from Starfleet. They say it's going to take three weeks to get the help that is needed. So when faced with that, they decide to chase down the ship. Uh, that is on its way to the planet. They call Data, and Data says he's not sure he's going to be able to get the job done. Use that fancy positronic <laughs> brain of yours, right? Data says, which I think maybe would have been what he should have said to Marjorie. I just don't think I can get the job done. I think maybe <laughs> that would have helped. But he knows he can. That's the problem. That's it's the not tr- with her. Only with. Oh, so here's here's where things started getting very fucking familiar to me. Is Data starts <laughs> starts talking about the numbers and says that a, that a, a very high percentage of the people he's talked to don't believe the danger is real. And then the other ones <sighs> are like, well, it's probably real, but we probably can't do anything about it. Uh, so let's not get the help we need. And they are not listening to science. And I don't know why I felt like it seemed familiar, but it did. Yeah. Who's who's running this polling? That's what I want to know. <laughs> it, it's kind of classic sci-fi, right? That's why sci-fi was invented, to, to warn about we all have the same problem every 20 years. Like in, in 200 years, the, the same things will be trying to destroy us that are trying to destroy us now. <laughs> it's, it's just you're right Kate in this particular instance it's just you uh, god damn it I was just gonna say what are the percentage of people who don't think uh, that this planet is round they probably think it's flat as well what, tell right. us those yeah. <laughs> and I like how Riker is basically like cool I can't help you you gotta fucking figure this out he's not a good mentor in this no not at, at all, all. Just like with the transporter, he's like, all right, yeah, you know, do better, guys. You got it. Right. <laughs> That's leadership. And he's he's a little annoyed. I can't help you. I'm not there. I don't know yeah. these people. I don't know what they've done. <laughs> oh, helpful. Marjorie says, "We've I've called a meeting, or, or, or they've called a meeting to talk about this. Data expresses concern that he can't do it. So what does Marjorie do? She kisses him. Yeah. When he says, why? She says, look like you needed it. We're going to talk about consent a little bit for a hot second. Someone, <laughs> quote unquote, looking like they need it is not okay. <laughs> That's true. And there's a lot of other ways to give support, you know, which he deduces is the thing, than like full on mouth kiss. Like, that's not how you, you know, do it with strangers, right? Like, you pat on the back, start with that. Right. Ask if you can give a hug or, or something like don't be like, let's let's uh, exchange spit. 
and support. I kind of wish that the that the very end of this had been Picard and 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 Data and Data giving Picard a kiss on the mouth and saying <laughs> you look like you needed it. And, that, and that's the lesson. And Picard's that like, yes, I did, buddy. <laughs> Fuck <laughs> yeah, you are fully functional. <laughs> God damn it! Somebody give Kate her fucking show. <laughs> Marjorie says, maybe you don't get humans. You you should try some reverse psychology. And then it's, I said, it's a good thing he learned a lesson about excessive honesty. Mm. Yeah. Things are not going much better on the transporter deck. Here's where Wesley is there for no discernible reason other than to get that paycheck. He's a wonderkind. Yeah, the wonderkind. Picard stops by for about 30 seconds to be like, do it. Wesley says... He's asking the impossible. And Jordy says, that's that's most of what being a captain is. That feels like a nod. That's like a nod to Kirk and Scotty there. Like a little bit of like, a, yeah, that's what pretty much all of our plots are. Thanks, Melissa. Yeah. But it's bad. also fun, right? You know, like the complaining about your uh, superiors, your bosses. Yeah. Like, oh, it's easy. All, they don't have to do the work. So it's easy for them to ask. Uh, so it was a nice little, not everything is cheery and you know, like, they they bitch about Picard yeah. when he's not around sometimes. Uh, I love that. Back on the planet, in a in a again, a feels a little too real. Gosheva says he is holding this meeting to correct misinformation. Mm. Uh, <laughs> Fake news about Fake this news. aqueduct. I think they dubbed that in <laughs> like years <laughs> later. <laughs> it feels so real. Uh, but I love Data gives a rousing speech about dying for land. And honor, and it's, it's a so great bad. speech. It's really good. Your children will understand the, ex- the the sacrifice. They will be remembered, but remembered by who? And then Gosheva does a slow clap, which they also edited <laughs> in because uh, he was off the rhythm. <laughs> he was clapping on the one and three. <laughs> what is he, Jimmy? <laughs> oh, oh, oh man. <laughs> You know that hurts. <laughs> <laughs> and people are starting, like, there's a couple people in the crowd who are like, well, I don't, maybe he's right. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he is right. And oh, then, the, the voices are so good. Right? It's so well done. You can just picture them surrounding one mic. I love that loop. I love it. And so, of course, Gosheva pontificates about his grandfather again, because that's his go-to. <laughs> Which makes him look like a boob. Like, you got one speech. Yeah. You gave the guy yeah. one speech. I mean, yeah. Data in debate class, like, debate, you know, he, Data totally won this. Like, right. I don't see anyone being like, oh, yeah, Goshevin. It was only just because of the force of, of will of Goshevin. And I like, I kind of like that, right? Like, also very similar to, to uh, commentary of what's happening in our world now. But, you know, Data is so good at just being like, you're going to die. And for the right reasons, like land. <laughs> and right. honor, honor. Mm-hmm. and you're like oh god he's just skewering this so well um and i love that it's him delivering it too because another a human would have been more impassioned right like right. if picard was giving this speech it would have been you know shakespearean and and everything in its in its delivery and it's it's so natural and 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 as devoid of emotion as brent spiner can make it and somehow that makes it even more sarcastic and i love mm-hmm. it and 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 Goshevin says i, I I'm willing to stake our lives on it. Here we stand. And Data says, then here you die. 
And yet again, I go, this is too real. I'm supposed to be taken to a new place. (laughs) Uh, And the meeting sort of breaks apart. But the two dudes who found Data in the beginning say they are not convinced. Maybe they should. Maybe they should leave. They're they're not. So they're going to do a secret meeting. Yeah. Mm. Back in the ready room, Troy and Picard talk about how difficult it is to communicate with the Sheliak because there's no point of reference. There's not sort of a, hist- a shared history that they can look at or a shared point of view. She shows them how teaching a language is difficult by, by giving a name to something in a cup. But is she talking about the cup or the liquid uh, or the hand? I don't know. Or, or the warmth. color. Or yeah, like all that yeah. stuff. I, I was a really, this is a, uh, a small part of this episode, but it is so interesting to me to think of like, yeah, how does language get understood by sentient beings when there's no frame of reference? It's, it was really some of the the best content that Troy has delivered over the these first three seasons that yeah. really made me think a lot. Well, and we're dealing with it even more since then, now that we have texting and emailing. Right. You know, it takes all the emotion out of the language and people who speak the same language and have the same frame of reference suddenly have so many more misunderstandings. And that's why pictures have taken over some of that texting language, right? Where, you know, we know what an eggplant means now. (laughs) But do aliens know what an eggplant means? I don't know what an eggplant means. I think Marjorie does. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. I was setting you up for that. (laughs) (laughs) They find the ship. They hail the ship. And uh, Picard has found a little part of the contract that says that they are allowed a face-to-face negotiation. At Marjorie's house, uh, I I love that I don't know what her name is. Uh, There is a small group, again, considering there are 15,000 people, this is like the same 30 people that were at the other meeting. Representative democracy. Yes. They have gathered to hear more information, but Goshevin, uh, of course, shows up and parades around all self-important. Like I, I was getting ready for him to tuck his um, hands into his uh, suspenders and say, I may not be a big fancy city lawyer. <laughs> That's probably why they dubbed him over, though. Right? Because right? it sounded just like that. You coastal elites don't know what it's like here in real, uh, oh whatever this planet God. is. Tower For me, for me, just let's not. Let's, <laughs> for you. let's move on. And then I actually was, I, I had forgotten about this episode, y'all, and I legitimately gasped when he says, you're stubborn, and then just fucking shocks him out of nowhere mm-hmm. and says, so am I. And I, I gasped. Gasp. He chose violence, of course. He did chose. He woke up and no. chose violence. He knew that his uh, arguments were full of shit. Yes. Well, and here's a, 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 a what I think is an interesting question that that struck me at this moment in the episode. I wonder if the writers had not shown us the Sheliat or given us sort of that backstory of how how much they could destroy if I would have been so against this guy from the get-go. Because Mm. we knew more than he did. So from his perspective, maybe it didn't seem as dangerous. And maybe I wouldn't have thought it was as dangerous or as a sure bet, like, you have to leave. Because I knew what he didn't know, that these guys can destroy you very easily and they're immovable. And he only had this android's word on that's what's happening. 
Uh, and I just, I, I, I wondered at that moment, would I have a different opinion about where this story was going if I, too, as an audience member, didn't know about this alien race? I mean, do you guys think it would have changed you at all? I mean, having that 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 info definitely influenced me. I mean, if I'm to think that they are not spacefaring and they have been convinced both by their dead ancestors and meeting an android in a shuttlecraft that there are aliens up there, I am going to say, I, for one, welcome our new alien overlords. <laughs> like, this is not something you can fix with with her tiny little robots out there trying to fight these aliens with starships. So that's that's how I react immediately. Yeah. Right. I do think there's something about the whole like uh old west mentality of we fought so hard to survive nothing can touch us. No, definitely. I mean I, I think I, that's part of it too. And I don't think he has the frame of reference. Like he just thinks oh there's people coming. Well, we'll we'll convince them otherwise or we'll hit them with our shock sticks. Yeah, right. right. Exactly. We'll hit them with our shock sticks cuz they I mean they are sp- they were spacefaring people. They just yeah. got stranded, right. right? But they are no longer. And Mr. Mark L. Taylor, uh, I'm glad for his existence because it shows that there are always people who go, wait, no, this is stupid. Right. Uh, uh, right. Even in the Old West, even now, all that yeah. time. Because he was stupid. And in we the Westerns, like- 25% of cowboys were black. Like, there was always people arguing against bullshit but it does set up this climax really well because it is like the only mm-hmm. thing that you can really show is the end result right so like right. you, you mm-hmm. think you got a fighting chance i'm gonna show you you don't yeah right. actions speak louder than yeah. words always I, also on on his way out someone says you've killed him and he says i've shut down a machine which is just poor data has to fight this fight constantly just even in the last episode from uh um you know the uh kelso yeah like, oh, i'm just killing machines what's what's the big yeah right the, it, um, the whole reason he was on the planet is because he was you're a machine. Back on board the ship, uh, Troy and Picard are beamed on board uh, the Sheliac ship. I think by the Sheliacs, because yeah. uh, then they're booted out unceremoniously. Uh, and sorry, Kate, to interrupt you, but uh, that is not the proper nomenclature. Oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, they say in the episode, Sheliac is plural. It is plural. That's right. So However, you don't have to put the S. However, the moment, there is a moment when they go through the treaty where the, the word Sheliax is used. So Thank you, Ooh, I didn't catch that. It's an Thank intriguing you. thing. Sheliak basically says, we are going to eradicate the humans uh, and then hangs up on them forcefully, which ejects them out, of the, out of the ship. <laughs> Drop the mic. Which I love. Couldn't the Sheliak just beam all of the people uh, off the planet onto the Enterprise? That's not in the contract. Right. Why would their <laughs> transporters work? Oh, they work. <laughs> back on the planet, Data is back awake, uh, realizes he has been using words when action is called for, and he MacGyvers himself up a phaser with Marjorie, like, right on his shoulder the whole time, because that bitch is thirsty for as much, you know, uh, skin to android plastic that she can get, contact that she can get. Um, she's trying to bond. Especially when he's working on a science project. It's like, <laughs> give me a fan. You know how to get to me. Uh, and then says, uh, hey, uh, I love this plan. Hey, can you just tell everyone I'm going to blow up the pumping station? Thanks. Bye. 
which is how most dastardly plans work. You warn everyone that you're going to do it and then you do it. Well, because he wants uh, them yeah. to see it. He wants, exactly. to, he wants to have that confrontation and be like, exactly. look at me. I'm doing vandalism, which I don't normally do, but I'm doing it for a point. Again, not a big turnout for a an android's going to blow up our uh, soul <laughs> source of water Correct. rally. <laughs> this is a very unengaged society. Yes. What if what if they lied about there being fifteen thousand people and there's only thirty? What if they're all their numbers? What if they're all yeah. clones? They're like What's that other. Oh planet. yeah, they walk in single file to hide their numbers. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like the swelling the numbers because it just feeds more into this. Yeah. This episode is actually written in 2020. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Back on the ship, uh, they are literally nose to nose with the Sheliak ship. Picard says to them, you don't have to answer or they don't have to answer us. They just have to listen and gives the you will have to go through me. You shall not pass moment <laughs> of mm. the episode. And then also thinks maybe we should look at the treaty. <laughs> I like that it took them three right? and a half days to be like, what if there's something in the treaty? And they had already looked at the treaty. Once and Riker to help them. has it memorized. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Can't they just ask the computer? Can't they just be like, computer, is there a loophole that we can use? Right? I mean, they, that works in other episodes. Back down on the planet, Data full on just shoots four people yeah. in a row. <laughs> that was shocking. It was really, really shocking. And again, like 30 people are there to see it and four of them uh, are stunned. <laughs> <laughs> and he warns that was the stun setting and says this is not and shoots i think the the water uh pipes that lead to the hot tub which is mm -hmm. their commerce main area of commerce uh so they get very upset by that <laughs> and it goes um, all the way up to grandpa's grave we got to see it He's blowing up uh, uh, Civil War monuments uh, the whole way up that mountain. David's like, where's your grandpa now, bitch? He says, I am but one android. Hundreds are coming. And then says, you may not even get to face them. They may obliterate you from the sky. And then I think what happens is people agree that they should leave, I guess. But mostly everyone just walks away, which I think is them agreeing that... It Data was right, but it's sort of like lackluster. Like, why? Oh, why didn't they stand around that one mic with? Uh, oh yeah, yeah, I think. Packing sure is going to be hard. I hope so. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that android is so hot. Oh, <laughs> uh, but I do like that one of the, one of the people that that found him uh, said there are other places, there are other challenges, and I think mm. that's the most sci-fi el you know element of of data's argument here is like look we we are you know uh, what is it from thor ragnarok it's like the asgardians are not a place they are a people and you know goshipin kind of is i he never really does uh, you know agree but at least he looks really longingly at the hot tub after this right yeah, they, <laughs> yeah. they should they should do what they did for the asgardians just bring them to oklahoma yeah, yeah right or <laughs> norway whatever works well and it's interesting cuz goshipin has he seems to be the exact opposite of the grandpa that he talks so much about in that those people that got to that planet, they did whatever they could to survive. And he's doing whatever he can to not actually do hard work to survive. Oh, that's a like really good point. You know, like there's like, I don't want to go somewhere else and start over. I want to stay here and die. 
Right. And, you know, every the, leaving is the harder thing <laughs> and starting over and rebuilding what you have. That That's more yeah. in line with the spirit of the early settlers than what his any part of his argument was. Right. Oh, I don't know. A lot of the early settlers died the same way. <laughs> they got their little square piece of land and they're like, okay, I'm done, and then died. <laughs> that's not funny. Sorry. <laughs> it's funny. It's Sorry to have led you on. <laughs> Back on the ship, Picard finds a loophole approximately ah, 15 seconds God. after Worf says, this is impossible. <laughs> and it, we got to talk about how impressive they all are for being able to read as fast as they do. The thing is just scrolling through. Because data then... isn't there. To like right. do the fast, you know. <laughs> right. But they can take it all in super fast. <laughs> Plus yeah. they're like both standing like five feet away. That type is very small. Very small. They're good. got good eyes in the 24th century, I think. At this point, though, the Matrix has been out for about 500 years. So they, <laughs> they've all learned how to read that particular. Yeah. Also, they have a Lasix room on the Enterprise. <laughs> yes. So. Uh, although I will say I'm Worf in, in this storyline where I'm just like, I don't want to look at documents. This is, I can't understand text. 500,000 pages. Like, that's a lot. And uh, nope. I'm with him. Well, luckily, uh, Picard is not like Worf uh, and finds that loophole. And what does that loophole ask for, Eric? Third-party negotiator! Yay! <laughs> Arbitration! In person! That's right. And they are allowed to ask for whoever they want to arbitrate, and so they ask for a species that is currently in hibernation for six yeah. months. Do six you want to months. wait, he says, and then hangs up mm. on them in a very know. satisfying moment. Someone was recently saying about, oh, sorry, but the, the uh, I forget what, it was a recent uh, show, maybe it was Succession, where they were saying like this was the longest period of silence in a uh, television mm. show where it was like a minute and a half of, of no dialogue in a show. This scene makes a run for that money, right? Like Absolutely. this is a long time of just Picard strolling. We get to see that USS Enterprise uh, right? plaque, which I didn't even realize it was right there. It's just to the right of the view screen, just hanging out. And I'm like, oh, I'm so glad that they elongated this scene as as, as long as they could. And Rick Riker is like, you liked that, didn't you? You're right. <laughs> Right, and he clean Picard uh, does a little dust thing, mm. so the ship's not right. cleaning everywhere. Fucking <laughs> ship. Good point. I just uh, as a as a person who has silenced all notifications on on their phone uh, and on their iPad and everything, that whole section made me very nervous. <laughs> I anytime I hear notification sounds, I get on edge. And just that, like, repeated calling. I was like, answer the fucking phone. <laughs> uh. <laughs> and when he finally says on screen, they are given the Shellyak say, uh, you can have three weeks, which is all they ever wanted. And then Jordy comes and says, good news. <laughs> we can modify the transporters. It's going to take 15 years. For the team of 100. <laughs> yeah. For the team of one hundred, and then and then he just sort of is like that. That'll do, Jordy. That'll do. Like, <laughs> no, he kind of sends him off with a like. By the way, just right. kidding. Let's postpone that, dear boy. James Cromwell was there. <laughs> That'll, <laughs> exactly. do. That'll do exactly. Back on the planet, Marjorie's getting or Marjorie. Marjorie uh, is standing in front of the shuttlecraft. I think physically blocking its way so that it can't take off. Uh, sure, it yeah. goes up and down. Not 
front to back, but we'll forget about that part. She says, plans are going well for the evacuation. And then she says, you won't forget me, will you? And he says, of course I can't forget you. I'm an android. And this is the moment when I realized that Data is the Pete Davidson of the next generation. Because every fucking hot woman that comes in for some reason is hungry for that, I guess, massive shalong. Like, that's got to be what's happening because I can't figure out what it is that she She can be the one to finally relax him and make him... uh, That's right. Right. ...feel good and human and... And he's he and Data uh, always has the same response that Pete Davidson does, which is okay. okay, 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 okay. She says, "Don't you have any feelings for me?" And he says, "I have no feelings of any kind." And then he kisses her because mixed messages are something that he apparently knows how to do. He says, "You appeared to need it," which, of course, we now know canonically actually happened with Picard at the end of the episode. So we'll forget that <laughs> yeah. this happened this way. <laughs> Picard is listening to cl- the recording of Data playing. And finds it hard to believe that Data doesn't have feelings. And I love the fact that when Data explains, no, I was just copying this performer and this performer and this performer. I love that uh, Picard says, is is there nothing of Data there? You, They're very different. You chose to put those together, which I think was a really, like, that's just a nice moment and sort of shows how Data is human-like in his decision-making process, even though, uh, you know, he decided to kiss that Marjorie. Yeah, agreed. It's It was basically like that, that this is what art is, right? Like you can say that Star Trek is derivative of, of the sci-fi pulps of the 50s, which is derivative of the, you know, 1930s adventure pulps. I mean, I'm like, you know, you can't just say anything that's made is, oh, that's just, you're, you're, you're uh, rehashing old stories. I mean, that's, that is what entertainment is it's the specific choices of your inspiration and or combination of characters that we all and tropes that we all know and love in new and exciting ways. That is, is artwork and especially genre artwork. Uh, so mm. in some ways that's what, what Picard thing meant to me. It's his, it's his way of being on board with slash fic is what you're saying. <laughs> and that's why he's like, lay one on me data. I want your mouth feel right now. <laughs> <laughs> mouth feel. <laughs> Oh. One final thing. I don't know if I'll edit it in if necessary, but I did see that the Ensigns of Command. Yes. It's a reference to, you'll never guess, a poem written by Ah. our sixth president. Shut your mouth. John Quincy Adams. John Quincy Adams. Yes. Uh, which I, I'm, I'm reading here and I still don't get how it relates to the episode, but at least we know where it came from. Good old Quince. And that's our episode. Uh, tell me what y'all overall think of this this year episode. Greg, we'll start with you. I am going to give this one. I'm going to go pretty high. I'm going to go nine Sheliac, which wow. is a plural term. Um, mm. I love this episode. I think it is a great combination of sci-fi ideas and storylines it's some of the only type of thing that can make commentaries on our own world and experience but have it be you know uh, a, a really exciting story it was tense i wasn't sure how data was going to do under this uh pressure i liked the building relationship between uh him and marjorie uh even though <laughs> you know we didn't get to see it uh uh you know in its in its full uh, dramaticness but you know i really enjoyed him being in this 
uh, fish out of water story, right? Like, you know, he's not usually the diplomat and he's forced to be mm. the diplomat here. And I, I, I kind of liked how he, he handled it. I also like that the B plot is is not really a B plot. It is the same plot. It feels, you know, what's going on in the ship with um, uh, Picard having to find the specific, you know, clause in this contract that can be uh, done with this, um, that can solve everything. I, you know, it just really kind of comes all together. I like that the map painting of this planet looks really good uh so mm. even though there aren't that many extras and that would cost too much they, they they really did make the effects of this episode look good for uh the budget and yeah it's just a really solid piece and it's just once more feeling that you know season three is off to the races here with some more interesting uh storylines coming out excellent good thank stuff. you jimmy g uh, I will give this one a very solid seven life-size sexual toys. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just as good as, as Greg said. I don't disagree with anything he says. I just want to keep a buffer of that eight, nine, and ten for episodes that I think push the show, uh, it, it push the bounds and set up new things. So um, it is a fantastic episode. I would absolutely recommend it to anybody to watch. Uh, Seven, I love the sci-fi. I love uh, this Shellyac race and um, everything they had to say about them, like the way their culture operates, how intractable they are, and you know, a bunch of pedants and their uh, devotion to the legalese. Uh, it was a lot of fun and one that I would watch again. Excellent. But can you dance to it? Eric, tell us, what do you think? I give it eight cello playing transporter chiefs. <laughs> really, really like it for all the reasons we've discussed, but the use of O'Brien in this episode is really, truly special. Uh, you know, that, that bit at the beginning is unbelievable. And you kind of throughout the whole thing with the, the transporter, um, you know, it, you want more of him, but uh, what is there is fun. And you, you get the idea of him and Jordy, which, which is a very important thing moving forward uh, in the series. And I just, I, eight, terrific episode all up and down. And I'm going to give it a, a solid seven and a half. I'm like Jimmy, I'm going to keep that buffer a little bit, but uh, seven and a half hurling metal rods. <laughs> uh, for all of the above reasons that we've talked about um, it's a great episode that I think we've talked in length, at length about feels very fresh to us so that to me is always a sign of a good sci-fi episode uh, is when you can watch it 30 years later and be like prescient cool. uh, yeah. moving of the collar away from the neck too much realness it's a fantastic episode and uh, we hope that you will join us again next week for the next episode and uh in the meantime these pants are not gonna wet themselves we're gonna have to get data <laughs> we appreciate you for voyaging with us on this episode of re-engage next week we are continuing on our mission with the next episode of the third season of star trek the next generation follow re-engage on instagram and twitter at re-engage tng to get updates when episodes are published you can follow our various cultural bridge crew on all of the social medias. Kate Yeager is Yeagerlicious. Eric Gratton is at Eric Falls Down. Greg Tito is at Greg Tito on Twitter and at Greg underscore Tito on Instagram. Jimmy G is at the Jimmy G on Instagram. Reengage is edited by me, Greg Tito. Logo artwork by Mojo Jojo97. 
Theme music is by Ryan Marth. Thank you so much for listening. Stand by now as Dr. Beverly Crusher is ready to re-engage. <laughs>